Some of you know that uh, I've signed up to run the full marathon in Akron this fall. A little piece of insanity, maybe. Um, and I'll be raising funds for uh, Akron Children's Hospital again. And honestly, uh, that causes part of, uh, of what fuels my desire to run this ridiculously long distance uh, to be able to help out those kids. Um, uh, absolutely inspirational, the things that they overcome uh, in order just to live what we would consider a, a semi-normal life. And uh, it just seems like a, a small uh, price to pay to beat my body into submission for 26.2 miles to help raise some funds uh, for them. You know, I had never run more than a mile before I turned 40. And uh, I ran my first 5K uh, on my 40th birthday. Uh, I just find myself inspired by these kids, and, uh, and, and I find myself inspired by the work that's done at the hospital. But I'm also inspired by the story of the very first marathon. I, I put that in air quotes because marathon is not a race, it's a town. It's a town in Greece. Uh, and, uh, and that first run was done by a soldier messenger uh, named Pheidippides. Pheidippides was a Hemerodromos, which means that he was a day-long runner. Um, many people know the tragic end of Pheidippides' story, how he ran about 25 miles from the city of Marathon to Athens to report that the Battle of Marathon, uh, that the Greeks had defeated the Persians, which was a big shock and surprise. Nobody expected that. He entered the Acropolis and he declared, Nike, Nike, Nenikekiam which means, victory, victory, we have conquered. And then he fell over dead. You know, and people will tell you when you're running a marathon, you know, the first guy that ran a marathon, he just fell over dead when you got to the end, right? <laughs> Thank you for that encouraging thought. <laughs> but what many people don't realize is this famous run, uh, it, 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 you're at the very end of actually several days of running. Um, so it starts out with Pheidippides knowing that this army from the Persians has, has come to uh, Marathon and they need to gather the armies of Greece. And who else do you want other than the Spartans because they were the fiercest warriors of the time. And so from Athens, he is sent to run to Sparta, 150 miles through the mountains. And he makes that run in about 36 hours. 150 miles in 36 hours. He delivers the message, takes a nap, and runs back with their response. We're up to 300 miles, right? Somehow he ends up at Marathon, probably ran there, and then he runs back after the battle, which he probably fought in, to bring this message. That's a total of 350 miles of running in about six days' time. And then he delivers this message of victory and, and dies. All of this to deliver the message. Ezekiel, in our Old Testament lesson, was charged with delivering a message. That was the job of the prophet, to deliver the word of the Lord, to deliver what God is saying. And what was the message? Well, it starts out with this very encouraging word. Oh, wicked one, you shall surely die. 
not nearly as fun as declaring victory. But was Ezekiel's message any less important than Pheidippides? No. In fact, it's even more important because his message from God to his people is a warning. It's a warning to turn from their sins. He says, you know, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. So turn away from those wicked ways. He wants them to turn to God's grace and his mercy and his love and to live. To live in repentance. The Hebrew word uh, that we translate turn, you know, he says turn, turn from your ways. That, that word, we also translate it repent. And the image is clear enough. You're walking one way, and you discover it's the wrong way. And so you turn to walk in the right way. And spiritually speaking, uh, turning means that we were walking in sin and in our wicked ways of the world. And having experienced God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, we turn And we walk in his ways. We walk in God's ways. Is this message, O wicked one, you shall surely die, still relevant today? It sure seems so. You know, our reading from 1 Corinthians says that the experience of Israel serves as an example to us. That the words of Moses and the, and the prophets are written for our instruction so that we look back and we see what happened to them so that we're led in a better direction than what they went. These things were written for our instruction, and I want you to catch that. These things are written for our instruction, for the instruction of God's people. These things are not written as a diatribe against the world. They're not written so that we can think that we're righteous and the rest of the world is wicked. And wow, do they have it coming. The wicked in Ezekiel's warning are Israelites. They're believers who have settled into their sin. The righteous are also Israelites who live by faith and whose lives are transformed by God's love and mercy. This warning is for us. It's for the people of God that we should not consider ourselves better than the world as though the sinners are out there and they ain't us. And that's what Jesus is driving at in the gospel lesson when he gave his followers that ever so uplifting message, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Did you catch that? You thought those people that the building fell on were bad? Well, Fix your life or the same thing can happen to you. Thank you, Jesus. The gospel of the Lord. Jesus takes repentance very seriously. And we should too. But he also gives this comforting image uh, with his warning. This image of of a patient vine dresser, a gardener, who tends the tree that the master has given up on. A little more time, a bit more manure. He hopes for fruit next year. Even 
as he knows that a lack of fruit will mean the end of the tree. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit at work in us, tending our hearts, feeding us with God's grace, advocating for us, and giving us what we need to bear the fruit of repentance. Ezekiel's message and Jesus' message, they're essentially the same. Live in repentance. Live in humility. God is still at work in you. Sin will lead to death. But the Holy Spirit is at work. He's at work in you to help you to live. To live as God's people. Not only that, but he leads others to life through you. He will use you, your life, as an example. An example of grace and forgiveness. And I think sometimes when we think about, you know, I get to be an example of forgiveness, we think, oh, I get to forgive people and be an example to them. No, you get to be an example of what it means to be a sinner who has been forgiven by God's mercy. And for that forgiveness then to transform your life. I recently read an article by Charles Colson. He wrote it in 2006, and it was printed in Christianity Today. Uh, you, you might recall Colson uh, was one of the men who went to prison for Watergate. Uh, in the midst of the turmoil and the trials of, of Watergate, one of his friends witnessed to Colson. He told him about Jesus, and Colson became a Christian. Colson went to prison for the crimes that he had committed. And while he was there, he prayed, he studied the scriptures, he grew in faith, and he learned to trust in Jesus' forgiveness. After his release, he started Prison Fellowship, a ministry to bring the, the good news of God's love to prisoners. He had been one of them. He had no room in his life to think that he was somehow better, somehow more righteous, somehow less of a sinner than they were. He figured, I need the gospel. They need it too. He knew that Jesus' death on the cross paid for his sins. Jesus' suffering and death paid for the sins of those prisoners and paid for your sins and mine too. And the Holy Spirit was at work in Colson's life to make him an example an example of what it means to be a forgiven sinner. He was an example of what happens when, when Jesus' blood cleanses us of our sin. An example of what can happen when we trust that, that Jesus has won the victory over our sin by dying in our place. He transforms us, transforms our lives with repentance and makes us his messengers to carry this hope into the world. Is this message of Christ crucified a message that the world needs to hear? I'll let you think about that, I guess. Is it a message you need to hear? Yeah, me too. Victory, victory. Jesus has won the victory. Turn and repent. Live in Jesus' salvation. That is a message that is actually worth dying for, isn't it? 
to carry out into the world, even at, at the risk of looking foolish or, or, or whatever else we, we fear in sharing the gospel with others. And it's a message I think that we actually need to die to deliver. To die to ourselves. As we live for Christ. And we live in his life and his forgiveness. To share the hope and the victory that he has won. Amen.